The following podcast is presented by Hormone Logics. Discover your ageless health. This is Amy Wilhelmy with the Ascension Mentality Podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Matt Wilhelmy with the Ascension Mentality Podcast. And today we have Devin Cambry with us. She is an IFBB wellness pro, and she is here to tell us about her story. And um, first, we're going to welcome her to tell us about her sponsors. Go ahead, Devin. Hello, guys. Thank you for having me so much. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, just to go over my sponsors real quick, uh, shout out to my suit sponsor, who is Sean Hector-Lewis with Sean's Couture Cuties. She does all of my suits, which are absolutely beautiful. They're custom made for every single person. Um, she also helps with hair, makeup, posing, stuff like that. Um, my meal prep sponsor, which is Keeping It Real Meals. Um, they prep all of my food, both in and off season. I do have another for my post-show treats, which now that I'm off season, I get to have those treats more regularly. Uh, Jack Brownies. Mm. They are one of my other sponsors. They are absolutely amazing, the best post-show treats that they make. And trust me, I've eaten a lot of brownies throughout my competition days. <laughs> Nobody compares to them. Um, and I do have a body work sponsor, too. He is local to me. Um, all my other sponsors, they're, you know, they ship international, I mean, around the country. But my, my body work sponsor, who is local, his name is Arid. He does all my body work, which is super important for what I do. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so excited to have you. You are from um, the New Orleans area, right? Yes, right outside of New Orleans. Awesome. So the first question I always kind of ask somebody is like, and this is a long story, right? Like, how the heck did you get into this? How did you decide to pursue this? Obviously, it's kind of an underground sport in a lot of sense. Like, you know, you don't know until you know. So tell us a little bit about that part of your journey. Do you, you want the long version or the short version? We have time. You so you, you, can, you can do the long okay. version. Yeah. We might interrupt you along the way okay. at interesting points. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so if we if we want to go the long route, um, originally I got into fitness, not necessarily bodybuilding, as a part of recovery from alcohol addiction. Hmm. Um, I got sober when I was 21 years old back in 2008, and I needed something to just occupy myself, you know, something that I felt was going to be healthy for me because I was in this new journey of recovery, and I just I was always someone who was very active when I was younger, but once I got to college, it all kind of went away, got replaced with drinking and partying and kind of led me down a very different path. And so I was trying to turn that back around. So I, I looked for something that was more physically active. Originally, I did marathon training. I have no idea why, because Whoa. I hate running. <laughs> did you actually yeah. run a marathon? But, <laughs> I did not. I wound up running a half marathon. And after that half, I was like, there's no way I'm doing that twice in one day. So that's when that, when that ended. Um, but I thought it was easy. I was like, you just run. You know, that's simple. And there actually is a lot to know about running long distances I heard that it's I more learned mental. along the way. It is mental, but there is 
you wouldn't imagine like there's stuff about like how long your strides are, how your, you know, how your foot is hitting the pavement, what shoes you wear, how you're supposed to keep yourself fed and hydrated along the route. Like it's, it's crazy, but I'm grateful because I, I learned a lot actually by doing this. I just didn't think I would need to know this much just to run, but you do. Yeah. So Not just run. After that half marathon, I was done. Yeah. I was done with marathon training after that half marathon. And so I actually started getting into the gym. Um, I worked with a personal trainer a little bit, was doing some exercises. And I had a friend of mine who was an ICD pro and I started seeing her posting on social media. And I was just like, wow, like I want to look like her. So I got in contact with her, started asking around how to get involved with this sport and stuff like that. But I wasn't really ready just yet. I So I switched to CrossFit training, did very well in CrossFit. Um, but I'm a very competitive person and CrossFit was not good for me because I don't know how to listen to my body whenever I get tired and not keep pushing with that kind of training. And so when you're doing heavy deadlifts for like 20 reps against the clock, that's not very smart when you don't know how to listen to yourself. I heard your form just really deteriorates too when you're trying to do it that quickly, right? Exactly, exactly. That, that's the problem. And that's what happened. I wound up hurting my back by deadlifting. Mm. And so after that, I was done with CrossFit. And then I decided to actually make the jump to bodybuilding. And that I did my first show in bodybuilding, wind up placing first. And after that, I was hooked. What year was and it when you did your first show? In a story. Of... When? Yeah, what year? It was, yeah, 2013. All right. So you got sober in 2008, and five years later, you're on the stage in a sparkly bikini, sober, <laughs> kicking butt. Yeah. Did you awesome. go through any formal yeah. treatment, Devin, or did you just kind of stop on your own with the drinking? I went to AA. I did not go to, like, an actual um, treatment center. I didn't think that would be beneficial for me. I mean, some people it worked for, and that's great. I didn't think with my personality and the type of person I am, locking me in a building for like a week's time and forcing <laughs> me to do things was not going to – I'm very stubborn, and I'm, I would probably have fought that process. I needed to be able to make the decision to do things myself. Yeah. And I actually started going to AA, and from there, it, I mean, AA was a huge part of my life for very many years. and um. I mean, I'm not saying it's not really now, not so much like the meetings part. I still, you know, live by the principles that I was taught in recovery, um, but I just don't, I'm just at a different place right now in my recovery to where I don't go to like the meetings all the time and, you know, surround myself in that environment 24 seven, like I did when I was newly sober. Yeah. And what a, what a brave decision to make when you're 21. I mean, that's like prime drinking age. Like that's what all your friends are doing. And you were like, yeah, I'm done with that. It was, it was hard. I'm not going to lie. I, um, I went through a very long period where I was questioning whether or not I had a problem. And because of that aspect, because I'm in college, everyone's partying, everyone's drinking. I would have these thoughts come in my head, like, do I have a problem? But then I'd look around and be like, no, I'm drinking like everyone else around me. Like, mm-hmm. I'm not any different than them. So it took a lot of like, a lot of those moments where I would have this. And I'm like, I think people who don't have problems don't have these thoughts. Right. Like, do I have a problem? 
So you replaced your addiction, right? You were addicted to booze and then you got addicted to pre-workout. And so was there like a moment? Was there like a, a rock bottom moment for you? It was, it was kind of like a gradual rock bottom. Um, the very, um, about a month before I got sober, I got in an accident. I was actually riding a bike just middle of the day on a Sunday. I was very drunk. And I slipped, it was a bicycle before you asked because everyone always asked me this. It would be a much cooler story if it was a motorcycle, but it wasn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, I was riding a bicycle and I slipped over the handlebars and I broke my jaw in three places. Ooh. And so I had to have my jaw wired for 11 or 12 weeks. And during that time, I was actually in nursing school. I had to drop out of nursing school. I had to quit my job and... For pretty much a month, all I did was drink because I couldn't eat with my jaw wired. So I drank for like a month straight almost every day. Oh, man. And I was very depressed. And that was kind of like the beginning of the end for me. Once once, the, once a month of that hit, that's when I knew like I'm, I need to stop. Like this is a serious problem. So you got the wire, you got your teeth unwired and then hit the gym the very next day or like how did that happen? No. That was because, like I said, I started with marathon training. So mm. I spent a couple of months. Yeah, I spent a couple of months like really deep in recovery. I mean, I was going to meetings two, three times a day sometimes. Mm. Um, and it took a little while, probably maybe close to six months, maybe six months to a year before I actually started getting into like doing fitness related things. Mm. Yeah, I mean, with AA, I mean, they say that the first, the hardest step is really just saying it out loud, like, I'm an alcoholic, right? Like, everybody goes to those meetings, and they're like, I'm not sure that I quite identify this, but I know I need to be here somehow, for some reason, so, it's a process. Yeah, the, I remember the very, very first meeting I went to, I was sitting there, and I was just listening to people talk, and I was, I related to so many people in that room, people who were male, female, older than me. That they had been through way more things than I did, but our, our mindsets were all very similar with the way we thought about drinking and the experience we went through. So that's how I knew after the first meeting, I was like, this is where I need to be. Like this, this is, these people are my people. Like they think just like I think, and they're dealing, they're using alcohol as a way to deal with things, which is what I was doing. Yeah. All right, we're going to go back to your, you were telling us about the timeline. You said you were doing CrossFit for a while, then you hired a trainer, and you stepped on the stage for the first time, and you were hooked. So tell us the, the journey from there. Where did, where did this take you? So my first show, I didn't know what I was doing. My coach, he was a bodybuilder. He had coached men. He wasn't really, we were like me and two, three other girls were his first group of like women that he was putting on stage. So we were all kind of trying to figure things out for ourselves because he didn't know that much about the female side of competing. So I did my own hair and makeup. I mean, I did my own posing from watching videos, like YouTube videos of Amanda Latona. Uh, I got like a, a spray tan at my house, like <laughs> at the little local great but I didn't know I didn't know they had like a show tanner that would do all this for me yeah so yeah I knew nothing Amy's but got a fun honestly, spray tan story it maybe we'll so get fun. to in a minute 
Huh? Amy's got a fun yeah. spray tan story we'll get to yeah. in a minute. Everybody seems to have a, a first experience with spray tan. Yeah. Yeah. So, like I said, I won my first show. I don't know how, because if you look back, at, it was pretty awful, my posing and everything. But I did win first in my first show. That was actually the only show I've ever won first place in, even wow. up until now. I have never won first place again since then, which wow. is crazy. But, yeah, I did. That was my first show that year. When I took an off season, I took an off season. I went on vacation immediately after that show. I didn't know anything about reverse dieting, post-show stuff. I gained 15 pounds in seven days, and I was freaking out. But then I was just like, forget it. I'm just going to not even worry about it. Keep going. And then the next year, I wind up doing four shows. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. Hired a different coach, probably, right? I had two different coaches. But the only reason why, it wasn't because my coach was bad the first go-round. He actually was one of my best friends. Um, But the reason why is because he got into personal training for Hollywood, and he was back and forth to L.A. so much. And I just said, like, look, I understand you're – you're moving up in your career. You really don't have time for me doing like these local little bodybuilding shows. So I, I stopped using him, still talk to him even to this day, but he's, you know, on his own path. So I went and hired another coach and worked with another coach for that next year. And like I said, four shows, I placed in all of them, um, did one show the year after that. And, I wind up taking like a two year break because I got pregnant, had my son, and then I went back to competing in 2020. How long after you had your son did you go back to competing? I was exactly at one year postpartum whenever I started my prep. Wow. And so I stepped on stage at 18 months postpartum about. Wow. That's awesome. Yeah. So did you work out throughout your pregnancy? Were you lifting and training? Hey, Amy, we have a great sponsor on board, Hormone Logics. Yeah, they're actually my hormone doctors, so I think they're pretty awesome. They do hormone replacement therapies to revive energy and strength so that you can continue to feel younger longer. They do bioidentical hormones, menopause therapy, andropause therapy. They help men with things like ED, low T, sleep regulation. They help you to have a more satisfying sex life, improved mood, improved cognition, healthier skin, bones, and hair. How does somebody get in touch with Hormone Logics? You can visit their website at www.hormonelogics.com. Stop missing out on living your best life and be the best version of yourself. I try to, but honestly, the stuff that I used to do just to warm up, started getting to me to where I couldn't even finish my, my warm-up set because I would get so exhausted. And the other thing You're is making a baby. What do you mean? As a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, and I was working as a nurse. I was working overtime um, because it was kind of like a planned, unplanned pregnancy sort of. And at the time I got pregnant, I didn't have insurance. So I was working all this extra to try to save enough money to pay for my bills. And I was, I was only PRN in my hospital, so I didn't have benefits either. So I was trying to save enough money so that way I can take my maternity leave. Wow. 
So after all that, I really didn't have much time to work out because I worked days, nights, weekends, whatever they needed me to work just to stockpile money. Yeah. You sound like a driven uh, woman, you know, in the, in the world of, of bodybuilding and fitness. Um, what would you say is like the most inspirational um, thing that you've been able to hold on to through that? Like what, what was it a parent? Was it a friend or was it a quote or like, how did you get through that? Cause that sounds extremely tough and you're kind of like glossing over it. Like, ah, that's just what I do. But not a lot of people do that. <laughs> but it is, it is. It is. People ask me that kind of stuff all the time. And I really don't know. Like, I think it's something I was just born with. I was for what I can remember, like ever since I was little, I always did a million things. Like when I, you know, I did dance when I was little, but I didn't just do one dancing class. I did five. I was at my dancing studio six days a week till like 10 o'clock at night. And I also was like a straight A student. And I also participated in extracurriculars like student council and all these other clubs. Like I'm just someone who I guess I just always want to be busy for one. And I always want to like diversify myself. I always want a lot of different aspects to me. I don't want to just be one person who does one thing. Do you feel like when you were working at the hospital, like like your coworkers started to notice the changes or did they make any comments? I'm just wondering because I think a lot of people when they're going through this transformation, um, the people that are generally closest to them sometimes might give them like the hardest time, like, Oh, you're not going to do it. Or you you look weird or, um, (laughs) You're, you're bulgy or I don't know. People my, say weird things. My coworkers, I worked at a very small hospital whenever I went back to competing. And we are, we are very close knit, very much like family because it's a small community hospital. So we have what six of us working on one shift at a time. So we're all very close and they honestly are very supportive. Now we do have every now and then they'd be like, I couldn't do that. I couldn't eat the same thing every day. I don't know how you do this. And, but most of them weren't too snarky. I did. I have had along my journey, people who are very snarky and make these comments about just like, Oh, you're not supposed to eat that whenever it's like a cheat day. And I'm like, my business. Like it's my cheat day. I can eat what I want. Like, and it's usually people who are just not where you are. Can't do what you do. And it's like a little bit of jealousy mixed in there. But Did that drive it you? Kind of comes with the territory. I'm sorry. Did that drive you? That naysaying, the snarky attitudes. Oh, oh, a hundred percent. The whole reason I am an ISDB pro is because someone told me I would not be an ISDB pro. Mm, That's awesome. I'd love to hear that story. Who told you you couldn't do it? Actually, it was my ex-husband. I uh, I knew it. I win the five dollar bet. I knew she was going to say it. <laughs> yeah. What? So it was it a source of contention. Like you were just spending too many hours in the gym or like what happened? She started getting hot. No, he got that, jealous. <laughs> no, 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 no. This, it, this is, this is what makes it very strange about everything is that me, me and him were together when I first started competing back in 2013, back, back when I got sober, we were together. So, like, right after I got sober, we had gotten together. And so, in 2013, he was already there for everything up until my first competition, all the way through. And then I had my son. But I would say around the time we had my son, we started having issues with our marriage. And 
I spent pretty much my entire first year after having my son just taking care of my son, like all the time. It was 24-7. I had a lot of anxiety about leaving him with anyone else but me. You know, I was an ER nurse. I'd seen a lot Mm. of stuff being an ER nurse, and I was petrified that something was going to happen to my son all the time, Mm -hmm. that he was going to take a nap and die, or he was something was going to happen. He was going to choke and I wasn't going to be there to help him because I'm the nurse. I'm yeah. the one who knows how to do these Cause you're, well, right? you're also probably seeing and like the so, worst of the worst at your, your hospital, right? I, I was, I was and that was a very, a hard time for me because I really didn't know what to expect being a new mother. I thought I knew until I actually got there and you know, my ex would always say, well, why don't you just, call so-and-so to watch him so you can do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, no. I was just like, because what if something happens? And they're like, nothing's going to happen. It's just for X amount of time. And I'm like, until you've seen the child that come in during their nap and the parents thought they were sleeping for two hours and when they went to check on them, they were no longer breathing. Mm -hmm. This happens and I've seen it. And he's like, but it's so rare. Like that doesn't happen all the time. And it's like, but what makes me special that I can't be one of those people? You know? And it's a crazy way to think, but I mean, until you're doing CPR on a three-month-old, you will never know what that feels like and what it feels like to see that family and not be petrified Yeah. whenever you have your own child. I would imagine that trauma, uh, the mental health impact, right, Amy? That would be like, yeah. how it's do you rough. come back from it's that? It's rough. I mean, so I'm a therapist and I train therapists and, you know, I, I always say like, the first five to 10 years, it's really hard to let go of those, of those cases that you see or that, that trauma that you hear about. Right. It's, it's hard. And you were, you were a new nurse, you were young. Right. So. So Devin, I want to make sure I got the timeline, right? So you did your first show in 2013. Um, that was, so you had the baby in maybe 2012. No, no, no. I had a baby in 2019. Okay. I got my dates all mixed up. Yeah, I competed for a few years, then I had my son, and then I went back to competing in 2020. And when did you get your pro card? What year was that? 2020. Got it. So your ex-husband... Yeah, I started prep in January. Started prep in January. I earned my pro card in November. So your ex-husband, um, baby daddy, he was there when you won your first show, right, in 2013? He was. And he was yeah. still shit talking you seven years later? He was he was not he was not shit talking in twenty thirteen, honestly. Yeah, like I said, I think it was because my my marriage was starting to have issues and like I said, I I really lost a lot of myself whenever I had my son because I put everything into him. Everything into just being a mother. And then I did go back to work and it was everything was just because I, I was Cause like I said, like bodybuilding and fitness was therapeutic for me as a part of my recovery. Mm. I spent two years not doing it at all. And then I had my son and everything went into my son. And then I had postpartum depression and then I had my marriage going downhill. And then I had just the, the mental aspect of watching my body change drastically and wanting to go back to how I looked when I was on stage, but being postpartum, I was, I was almost 200 pounds when I delivered my son and I'm only five foot. So that was a lot for me. And it was a hard pill to swallow to look at myself like that. 
and trying to think like, how am I ever going to get back to where I was? So, like I said, after a year of taking care of my son, and finally I just got set up with the way I was feeling, with the way my marriage was, and I'm just like, you know what, I need to do something for me. I need to go back to what makes me healthy, what makes me happy. So I said, I'm going back to competing. Good for and you. And he was, he was like, kind of like whatever at first, and not really supportive, but not really saying anything either. It wasn't until I actually got on stage, started competing, is when kind of like the negative stuff started coming around. So like, actually, when I got better is when it got worse. Mm. So at that point, I kind of knew like, that this marriage was not going to last. Did you have any episodes of relapse during all this stress? Or did you stay sober the whole time? Nope, I have been sober since that day awesome. that Good I got you. sober back in 2008. Yeah. That's awesome. So why do you think when you started doing better, the relationship got worse? And what, what, what happened in your mind? If you like the, if you want the psychoanalyst. From, from your uh, perspective. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, if, yeah, if you want me to, to, to from what I've gathered is that, um, the attention wasn't really on him anymore. I mean, I'll admit I wasn't being a good wife because I spent all of my time with my son. Now he could have been a little bit better with helping me to raise my son during that whole first year. I think it was a lot on him that he wasn't expecting either whenever he became a father, just like I wasn't expecting a lot of things. And I think he pulled away somewhat because he was really didn't like know that this is what it would entail with a new baby. He pulled away. I pulled away. We started having a lot of resentment between each other. And instead of actually communicating and talking about it, we just kept building on resentment until eventually we were so far away from each other that when we did actually try to come together and talk about it, the damage had already been done and we were both kind of like checked out. Mm. Have you ever been stuck in life? Have I got a book for you? Ascension Mentality, written by Amy Wilhelmy, public speaker, athlete, and licensed therapist. In her book, Amy takes us through a raw and vulnerable journey as she unravels from childhood trauma and navigates her career, marriage, and parenthood. She takes us on a deep dive into her life and how when emotions are left unprocessed, they seep into adulthood as she tries to navigate the task of growing up. You cannot change what you did, You cannot change what has happened to you, but you can change how you feel about it. You can let go of what is holding you back. When you process and unwind trauma, you don't lose what makes you strong. You only lose what no longer serves you. To ultimately be a better human, friend, parent, partner, coworker, daughter or son, and leader. It's time to let go. Ascension Mentality. This is Amy Wilhelmy. I'm the owner of Balance Wellness Collective. It's a holistic and integrative mental health practice located in St. Charles, Illinois, and telehealth. All of Illinois, we see individuals, adults, families, children, and adolescents. We are primarily family-focused and also do divorce mediation. It is a mind, body, and spirit approach to care. You can find us at www.balancewellnesscollective.com. 
That concludes part one of our conversation with IFBB Pro, Devin Cambry.